Well, hi and happy Friday. Welcome back to another installment of the Kingdom People podcast series that we're doing this summer. And today I, Sarah, am one of your hosts and I am joined by another host of ours today. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) This is Laura. Hi, Laura. Good to be with you this morning. So for today, we're going to have a little bit of a conversation as a way of bringing us into the text that we're reading together this month called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. So in doing that and bringing us into that text, uh, what we're going to do today is talk a little bit about uh, James Cone, some of his background and backstory that leads to him writing this text. Some invitations for you then as you are potentially reading or in the midst of reading or thinking about reading the cross and the lynching tree and then some invitations just for noticing and um, your own reflection as you're engaging with the text and obviously an additional invitation to join us then on the 22nd from 9 to 10 30 a.m as we spend some time together moving a little bit more deeply into the rhythms of this book. And as always, you know, with us talking about these texts and doing some of the work, this isn't just about wanting to fill our heads with knowledge or to get all of us to say, yes, we all agree and understand these texts, but this is about who we are and who we're becoming. And so the deep invitation and I think our prayer is that you take this as an opportunity to listen to God and God's spirits bubbling up in your own self. And in that way, what does it mean to listen and be transformed by voices like those of James Cone so that we might more truly love all of God's children and be loved by all of God's children and know God's love in, in deep ways. I want to give you a little bit of background on the author that we're reading uh, this month, James Cone. James Cone was born in 1938, and central to his work, his theology, his ethics, and his heart is what it means to, to be a Black person who is seen and transformed and encountered by this Jesus. And what does it mean that God is about the liberation of all people? And so his work is rooted then in answering the questions and the the plight and the longings, the African-American community in view of scripture and and in view of who Jesus is as a way of bringing about self-determination and freedom and true life for all people, particularly black people. And, um, you know, he Throughout his work, he ended up up being hired uh, and spent the majority of his career at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. And he was there from 1969 to 2018. And a really powerful thing for me is um, in my academic work, the Society of Christian Ethics, there are so many Black Christian ethicists. And so much of the power of their work is... Uh, connected to the mentorship and the way that he uplifted then generations of uh, young Black Christians to do the work of theology and ethics and pastoring, etc. And so this book comes out of a long lineage of work that he had done trying to understand and articulate 
who Jesus is and what Jesus means for Black people and actually articulating theology that comes from the Black lived experience. Because as he will argue, so much of dominant theology has actually been white male theology that has been articulated. Uh, and he's wanting to say, wait a minute, this isn't the only way to understand who Jesus is. And in fact, it's really important that when you reread scripture from a position of the oppressed people, it opens up different ways of understanding. So this text uh, was released near the end of his life, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And it represents in so many ways, I think, a seminal kind of culmination of his work beginning with uh, Black Power and Black Theology is book from 1969. Um, the, spiritual, the Spirituals and the Blues, which you see echoes of how he intersects and, and thinks the, that the spirituals and poetry and the blues are so important for faith. Um, and then this text was published originally in 2011. I do want to acknowledge that this text is pretty thick. It's pretty dense in some ways that uh, differ from some others. So if you, if you at all struggle or find yourself struggling at various points to read it, just be gentle with yourself and kind um, because uh, you know, it is a little bit more dense of a text, but fundamental and central to this text is he is wanting to both name the black experience of the troubles, but also um, then to say what the cross means for people who have known the story of lynching while also critiquing the ways in which white Christianity in the United States hasn't been encountered or let itself be disrupted by Jesus of Nazareth, who was killed on a cross, on a, an instrument of torture at, at the hands of the Roman Empire, and how if we're going to be people in America who truly follow Jesus, particularly dear white brothers and sisters, you need to get in touch with and re-encounter this Jesus who was crucified on the cross by actually taking seriously the reality of the Black experience and Black suffering in the United States of America so that we might truly be people who are transformed by the gospel invitation and follow Jesus uh, in truly in our own lives. So I think that's a long introduction um, but a little bit of where we're coming from, where this book is, is going to bring us is more deeply into that uh, reflection and understanding. Laura, for you, um, just even hearing that and your own reading of this, what are some things you want to make sure that we tend to today and that you want to invite folks to just consider even as you think about your own experience of reading the text? Thanks, Sarah. Yeah. Um, I guess my invitation would be to um, just come to this text as if you were coming to um, uh, a time with James Cone himself and just sitting down with him with the intent to really um, hear him and listen to him and try to understand what it is that he is wanting to convey and um, to bring empathy and just um, not just a head that's going to like interact with what he's saying, but a heart that's going to interact with the experience that he's trying to convey. Um, I think part of being able to do that is to um, just be present in your own body before you engage the text. So um, to draw on Resma Menachem's work from my grandmother's hands to really um, 
just to feel yourself being present in your body and um, do an exercise that um, that that helps you, um, you know, just be aware of where you are and how you're feeling and what's going on inside of you um, before you start to engage it. I would even um, recommend then as you um, kind of get to that place of being present with yourself before you start engaging to um, just imagine yourself um, with Jesus as he's in the garden and then throughout um, in the garden before his crucifixion and um, the brutality that he experiences um, along the way and the mob and then um, Simon of Cyrene helping him carry his cross and actually um, experiencing the crucifixion. And I would um, imagine that or read it or um, hear it or somehow um, just have that be um, an awareness that you carry in your body of how are you feeling as you're, um, as you're just being reminded of that and imagining that. And then take that um, with you as you, um, as you read this, just as a, a better understanding of what it is that James is trying to convey of the Black experience, especially as it pertains to um, just the, the constant fear and threat of, of brutal and um, horrific torture and lynching. Um, and so that would be, that would be my invitation of just he's it's it seems to me in reading this that he just really is begging um, the white church to understand the black experience and the black understanding of Jesus and Jesus's crucifixion as it relates um, to black America black America. Um, he has another quote in here that says the crucifixion of Jesus by the Romans in Jerusalem and the lynching of blacks by whites in the United States are so amazingly similar that one wonders what blocks the American Christian imagination from seeing the connection. And so I think that is our, my hope is that we not only see the connection, but we, um, we, we have a better understanding and empathy and can hear um, what, what it is that he's trying to to help us see. Yeah, I, I really appreciate those invitations and just an encouragement to all of you. When, when I have taught, uh, you know, at seminary and stuff, one of the big things that I'll encourage folks, and I really try to practice myself, both when I read and then also in general conversation, is uh, being intentional about can I can I articulate back the argument that a particular author or a person is making or what they're trying to communicate, what they're trying to say? Not to respond, but literally just can I apprehend, right? This is communication 101. And, and so that's my encouragement as you read this text and go along. Can you articulate, write down, what is the argument that Cohn is making? What is he just saying? And, you know, Laura, like you're naming too is the sense of like, just hear me, see me, hear this experience, and it doesn't have to be yours in order for it to be legitimate. And in fact, that it's incredibly important for us if we want to be people who are pursuing God's kingdom and God's justice, 
that loving neighbor as ourselves doesn't mean that I fully understand or apprehend my neighbor's experience. Because sometimes that experience is just so different than mine. That part of our work is to take seriously and to listen to the cries and the pleas of people who are saying, I am being oppressed, I am being harmed. And, um, and so that's part of what's going on in this text is he is trying to invite us to say, listen, it doesn't have to be your experience in order for it to count. But I'm telling you, this is real. Like, we need to take this seriously. And I'm challenging and inviting you to take seriously the experience of, of lynching, of discrimination, and to hear us, oh, white siblings. Because if you want to be people who are claiming the cross of Christ, then you need to hear us so that you can re-encounter this cross. And so as you're reading just the first invitation, or one of the first invitations, in addition to what Laura has said is, I would invite us, can you actually hear him? Can you write out what he's saying? And then can you notice like Laura is naming, what is going on in your body? How you're responding? Do you know why you're responding that way? If you're feeling defensive, do you know why you're feeling defensive? And to spend some time honestly in prayer and in just breathing and meditation and reflection. And so I think more importantly than getting through this book is taking part of it and seeing if you can hear him, noticing what's coming up for you, and then paying attention to where might be some invitations. Because the big point in this is not that we're like, you have to agree with everything. But can you hear? And then can you notice what might be coming up and where there might be some invitations um, for all of us as we're being encountered by this work? Laura, are there other things from this text or, or just the experience of it that you want to bring forward for us today? Yes, I, as you read, I think one of the things to just be aware of is how, um, how it's not just uh, James kind of giving a theological argument or you know, writing, writing down a book, but what he's sharing uh, has to do with the, the culture and the art and the poetry and the music that is also trying to, um, to share this experience. And so I'm just inviting us to also listen to that um, listen to the culture, listen to the art, listen to the music to see what it is that he's trying to convey as well um, as he shares that and as he brings in those other pieces. Because I think a lot of that um, that he brings up is um, a response to a question that Jesus asks all of us. And that question is, who do you say that I am? And I think you, you hear a lot of uh, the Black response in their culture and their art and their music and all those kinds of things. So I just think that's another place to be listening to and trying to apprehend what it is that is being conveyed through those different mediums. Thanks. Uh, maybe just the, I think the final thing I would bring us into is just the, the outline of this text and what's happening within it in terms of the arc so, you know, the text begins, obviously, with acknowledgments and introduction, just a couple of notes. So he talks about, even in his acknowledgments, about how he, he sought to express the gospel truth for today. And 
how then he he is really outlining that what he believes is at stake is the credibility and the promise of the Christian gospel. And that's why he's writing this in so many ways, is that he is really concerned about the gospel and what it says about us as a people of faith if we can't take seriously the reality of uh, oppression and racism in our world and take seriously the call of the cross to be a people who are concerned about liberation. And so as he goes through the five different chapters and then into the conclusion, um, he starts off in chapter one, then it's nobody knows the trouble I see, which is, as Laura was noting, the connection here between the spirituals and the gospel and experience. And so here is the chapter in which he is making the connection initially between the cross and the lynching tree. A big part of this chapter is um, literally his bringing forward to us the experience and the reality of lynching in the United States and what was going on with that, how that uh, impacted our black and uh, black siblings in the United States and um, just how, how in, within the black experience, there was such an experience of Jesus as the one uh, who himself being hung on a cross could be a savior, an actual savior for black people because God came in human flesh, taking on the form of a, what does Philippians say? A servant or a slave and was crucified. And so what it meant for people who knew that kind of crucifixion in their own lives uh, to be able to see that God's self actually came and cared about what they were experiencing. Uh, and so that's the connection he's making here in this first chapter is to then really begin to outline, hey, if this is what's been going on, how was this possible that people who are claiming the name Christ were also lynching Black people? And so he then turns to chapter two to an important public theologian and ethicist, Reinhold Niebuhr. Uh, Reinhold Niebuhr is a white man. His work was really influential both um, for MLK and just in the church in America more broadly in the mid 20th century. Uh, if you don't know who um, Reinhold Niebuhr is, uh, he was also a really influential ethicist and theologian that influenced the thought life of uh, Barack Obama and had a recent resurgence of popularity. He's a pretty pragmatic person. And in this chapter, um, James Cohn's also pushing at like some of the different white responses to the black experience and how so many of even really well-known, well-regarded white people haven't taken seriously the black experience, which he thinks is a real problem and that we need to turn to this experience because not only are black folks also God's children, but because this teaches us something about who Jesus is. And so that then goes to chapter three, bearing the cross and staring down the lynching tree. Um, and throughout that chapter, he takes on, you know, some of the civil rights era, talking about MLK's work and, and what's going on within the civil rights movement in the black community in terms of understanding and, and following Jesus in the work towards uh, freedom and really taking up that cross and um, fighting segregation and being a, a troublemaker who then seeks the kingdom of God in, in this world. 
And so then chapter four becomes, as Laura was talking about, the space where the recrucified Christ and the Black literary imagination. And um, here he turns to the work of County um, Cullen and uh, just looking at some of the ways that poetry and um, the literary imagination functioned within the Black community and in the, the search for justice and livability. And so that, that chapter just got, kind of goes more deeply into this. And then, Oh Mary, Don't You Weep is chapter five. And in this, he particularly turns to some of the work of some Black women who are um, seeking to name and articulate who, who Jesus is for them. And um, what it means for them to follow this Jesus in the face of um, white supremacy and uh, connecting this to O'Mary, you know, O'Mary, don't you weep then is going on in that chapter. So he finishes out that chapter and then goes, you know, in the end then to the conclusion, which is the legacies of the cross and the lynching tree. And really is they're inviting folks to re-encounter Jesus and the cross that it's not good news for the powerful or those who are seeking power over others, but that the gospel actually is a rectifying the world to the way that God wants the world to be. And he says, really, the only way for us to experience or to encounter the gospel and to live it is that we have to meet Jesus in the crucified bodies in our midst. And that's when we encounter the real scandal of the gospel and the scandal of what God is actually up to in the world. And by doing that, that will allow us to actually make the kingdom of God in our world. And that we really need to move into this if we hope to actually follow this Jesus of Nazareth, whom we profess, whose cross we wear around our necks, if we're gonna actually be able to really truly build the kingdom of God in a way that uh, makes the kingdom and the good news possible for all people. So we wanna invite you to join us on the 22nd. Uh, for we'll go more than into the text and into some deeper invitations about what was going on as we're reading this. So we hope you'll join us on the 22nd from 9 to 10.30. And in the meantime, we hope that the reading of the text is a deeper journey in. Thanks for taking the journey with us and we'll see you soon.